Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. And now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is John Yost, producer of the movie Alien Abduction Answers where he was able to tell the true story of what happened to him as a child. John, thank you so much for being my guest today, and welcome. I really appreciate the time, Jeff. Thank you very much. I've watched the trailer of your movie, and it's really well produced. Now, is this film based solely on your experience or other experiencers as well? Mm. It's uh, it's a much broader uh, film than just my experience. In fact, my experience is... Uh, incidental. It wasn't really supposed to be part of the film at all. Um, in fact, maybe the best way to do this is, is to kind of tell you what happened to me and, and how the film, um, the genesis of the film. I was, um, I, I'm in the television business. I, I do commercials and films and TV and I work for a company called Rhino Pictures. It's been around for about 38 years. And uh, I've worked in the business for about 25 and uh, traveled the world and done all kinds of projects, everything from true crime to sports to food shows. And uh, we were on a shoot in um, Borrego Springs, California. And if you're familiar with the area, it's, uh, it's very arid. It's uh, pretty desolate. Uh, and it's desert-like. And um, we had done a night shoot and come back to the home that we had rented. And there were about a total of, I want to say, 17, 18 people with us. And um, it was about, I don't know, one or two o'clock in the morning. And we decided to go outside by the pool and, and have a nightcap. Well, uh, they were pouring the wine and I, I raised my glass to make a toast over my shoulder like this. And when I did, I saw a glint in the glass. And my mind is kind of racing to, but what is that glint? You know, is that a light from the house? Is that a, the moon? And I... I realized there was no moon. This was one of the reasons that we were shooting that night was because there was no moon. And um, as I pulled down the glass, I saw about 45 degrees to my left and about 45 degrees in the air, something that shocked the hell out of me. It was, um, it was this oblong kind of shape, like an egg. And uh, it had a luminosity about it, kind of a blue-green glow to it. And it was as big as a, a Volkswagen. And uh, I, I tell you, Jeff, I could have hit it with a baseball. It was that close. And I, I was completely nonplussed. I grabbed my cameraman beside me, and I turn him, and he says, what? And all of these people with us, they all turn, and they say, oh, my God, you know what? And this thing moves lightning fast, zigzag. And then stops right above my head and then zigzags away about 20 feet, stops, and then drifts off into the desert. Well, you could have pushed me over with a feather. I was shocked. Everybody was amused and happy and they couldn't believe what they had seen, and, but not me. I, uh, I was in charge of the team and so... Uh, I had to keep myself together, but I was really losing it. And um, so what happened was I, I made my goodnights, my polite goodnights, and sipped my wine and, and went back to the room. And I'm not very proud of this, but I, uh, I barricaded that door. And the reason I did was this. I had been hiding a, an encounter that I had had when I was seven years old. And I'm 55 near now, and, and so it was, you know, 90% of my life. Um, when I was a boy of seven, it was August 1974, and uh, I was awakened late at night. Like, once again, like one or two in the morning, something like that, to this droning sound. 
and I sat up on the edge of the bed and I rubbed my eyes and it was disturbing. I went, I went to the bathroom and I, you know, of course did my business there. I was washing my hands and I let the water run for a really long time. I don't know why. I finally turned off the water and turned to open the door to the bathroom and standing in the bathroom door was to my seven-year-old eyes, a character that had been on Japanese television called Ultraman. I don't know if you recall Ultraman. He was a giant and he was silver and he had these huge eyes. But this version of Ultraman, in my mind, was my size. And I'm seven at the time. So I had no fear and we got very, very close. And I mean, Jeff, nose to nose. And then all of a sudden, terror gripped me. I could feel the world slipping out from underneath me. I've explained it before, like standing in a swimming pool and the water is just underneath your chin and you get to that part where it dips down to about 10 feet and you're slipping down there and you can't control yourself. And then um, I started to fight for my life. I, I, I was literally laying hands on this entity and um there was a huge flash of light and a, a kaleidoscope of colors and i felt like i was moving but i couldn't tell and and when i finally came back to myself we had switched positions this ultraman character's back was in the bathroom and my back was in the hallway directly behind me there were these stairs hardwood stairs to me, seconds had passed and I was completely shocked at how we had been transposed and I, and I was in mid-fight. And as I tried to swing at this entity, he, I say he, I don't know, raises his right hand and reaches out and touches me on my left shoulder. There's a huge, powerful energy that I feel and I'm knocked back. And I fall down the hardwood stairs. Well, I'm screaming bloody murder. You know, I'm a seven-year-old boy and I've, these are hardwood stairs. I'm hurt. My parents come out of the first floor bedroom. You know, what's the racket? What's going on? It's the middle of the night. And I'm screaming. I'm saying, you know, Ultraman's upstairs. And I'm, I'm sure my father just heard, you know, intruder. So he bounds up the stairs and he's opening doors. And of course, there's nothing. My mother's consoling me and they take me back to my bedroom and they do what parents do. You know, they look under the bed and they show you there's nothing there. Look in the closet. The next day I was out playing with my friends. It was summer break. And I come in and uh, my mother said, listen, it's time for dinner, but you have got to take a bath. You're disgusting. And, you know, a little boy, he doesn't want to take a bath. <laughs> And so uh, she's struggling with me a little bit and she takes off my t-shirt and she's looking at the bruises, you know, from the fall and she sees my shoulder and she says, honey, what's this? And I said, mom, I told you, you know, Ultraman was upstairs. And she got this kind of sad, painful smile on her face and she kissed me on the forehead. She said, everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. And um, so dinner happened, whatever. A few days later, my father's taking me to the doctors. And uh, as we pull into the doctor's office, his parking lot, he looks behind him and me in the back seat. And he's kind of a gruff guy. He'd worked in the mills. He's a big, tough guy. He said, now listen, I don't want to hear any of this shit about Ultraman. Keep that stuff to yourself. I was the eldest son. And of course, I love my father. I'd do anything for him. So I said, sure, Dad. And so the doctor gave me a cursory exam, saw the bruises, you know, made sure that there were no breaks or anything like that. Gets to my shoulder and he says, hey, sport, what's this? And I could see my dad. He was standing in the corner. You know, you didn't cross your dad back in 1974. <laughs> and he was glowering at me. And so I said, I, I don't know. I was just playing. So he gave me a lollipop, patted me on the head, sent me on my way. And so as my father's pulling into our driveway, he's returning me home, he said, now listen, 
I don't want to ever hear about this Ultraman again. I want you never say anything. I don't want you scaring your sisters. I don't want you to scare your mother. None. And so as a boy, I was told to lie. And so I lied about it all my life. And there are two dynamics about that that are important. First of all, I was very involved in sports. And so there were a lot of opportunities to lie, right? Taking off your shirt, you're going to go play basketball. What, hey? And I lied about everything. I mean, I lied. I got bit by a bear. I got shot. A uh, shark hit me. You know what? I, I mean, it just came out of my mouth because it was just perfunctorial. And, um, and also, I didn't think about it. I mean, I see that you wear eyeglasses. So in the morning, you don't go through a process where you say, I am going to put on my glasses. No, it's just a reaction. You just put them on. And that's what happened to me. And so, like many things in our childhood, we kind of just push it in the back. It's still there. You can remember it, but you push it back because your life is full. And I went on with my life until that night. And that craft, that oblong, stopped above my head. And at that moment, every bit of that fear, that terror, came back into my life. I remembered it so clear. It was psychedelic. And I think that part of why it was so dramatic for me is, is because I had never dealt with it. And so that fear was raw as a seven-year-old boy. I'm a middle-aged man, but I am a seven-year-old boy inside my heart and my mind when I'm living through that fear. And then in addition to that, and this is, I think, so important, the thing that was so poisoning about it was that I had to lie about it. And that lie, that misrepresentation poisons everything in your life. Poisons relationships, poisons how you act. And it was so, it was very, very difficult for me. And so <clears throat> what happened was, I know this is a very long answer. I apologize, Jeff. But uh, what happened was at this point, I tried to, get a hold of myself, right? I'm in charge of this crew and but I was I was losing it. I, I was not I was not okay. And I'm I'm still really not a hundred percent. But um thus began like a kind of a, a very, very focused interest. I I said, look, you know, I people noticed at work. My family noticed there was something off about me. And so um, I tried to, you know, I'm a very anal retentive guy and take charge kind of guy. I'm going to find out about this. I'm going to start to read. And, I'm gonna, and uh, I started to do interviews. And so this kind of became a, a kind of a pet project. I was going to, I was going to find out my personal answers vicariously through other people. So when you ask if it was just my, my ideas and my, my life, no, it's about a many people. And, and so that's what happened. And that, that's how the film began. And I still, at this point, was never supposed to be part of the film. Um, it was about everybody else and the subject of alien abduction and what that, not only, not only the abduction itself, but what it does to people and what it can become. Because I know we'll talk about this, but you know, for me, there was a tremendous amount of fear. And some people come through that fear uh, and the relationship develops people mature they evolve and um, and that's what you'll see in the film thank you for sharing your experience with us I think any person at any age if they encountered an intruder in their house much less an alien would be totally freaked out and full of fear I believe in my research of you that you actually went back and had hypnotherapy of this experience during your hypnotherapy sessions, did you find out whether this fear was just because of a boy being afraid of aliens, or did you find out that they did unpleasant things to you? Mm. Well, um, let me continue with the development of the film, and then you'll see how this all fits together. Um, through all of these interactions with people who had had these experiences at different times in their life 
something occurred to me that had never occurred. And it seems so obvious now looking back on it, but it came out during these conversations with other people. There is my entire memory of the event is crystal clear. I had, you know, it wasn't like I had to uh, have regression to remember it. I, you know, I, I fell down, I was wounded. My mother, you know, consult me my father was angry they took me to the doctor they saw the mark the doctor you know examined it there's a record of it this whole thing so it, it wasn't it wasn't like i had to remember it and it was a dreamlike state no but there was one piece of it that was a mystery to me and it became folk i became focused on it and that is where myself and the entity became very very close and there was a flash of light and somehow we got turned around for the life of me, I could not recall how that happened. And so gaining strength from these other people uh, who were very brave in this film and shared with me really intimate details, uh, it, it came to pass that I became, once again, focused on this piece of my own abduction experience. And so those people led me to a woman named Debs Shakti. And uh, I refer to her as really my guardian angel because she, she helped me. She is a, a quantum hypnotherapist. And, and so she has a global practice um, and she's very, very well known. And uh, she said that she could work with me and relax me enough to discover what I already knew. And uh, I have to tell you, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of a big guy and she's a little tiny person. And even the idea of somebody being able to take away my volition, I was kind of laughable to me. And I thought this is never going to happen. But she worked with me to relax and that's really what it was. She told me that I, I would do all the work, that she wouldn't do anything. She would relax me enough that I would have the strength to go to that filing cabinet in my own mind and open that drawer and see what had happened. And um, I will tell you this, that uh, Ultraman didn't take me. And Grays didn't take me. It was something entirely different. And um, and what they did to me is uh, probably less important than what they shared with me and what they showed me. Mm. And um, so that's why I had the regression. And by the way, the regression... Uh, it, I think that's a misnomer. The, the relaxation and me speaking about it under under that uh, care of that therapist, Deb Shakti, is on is in the film. The people feel they feel my fear. They feel my trepidation. And I, I you know, I didn't know what I was going to say, and I, I was scared to death. And I look like an ass to be honest with you you know i, I kid i get it around i said you're not going to make me you know speak like a chicken or something you know and um but she promised me that i would feel peace about it now i have to tell you that i i do feel more peace about it because now you you can understand what happened and you can you know it it's an unknown so you feel more comfortable there but i am still not healed if you understand me for some reason i'm under the assumption that during that flash of light during that time period you went somewhere i know you had you didn't say that but i felt like you went somewhere and then you came back and you're standing in the opposite position you're correct and that's why i was asking right. did you get regressed to figure out what happened while you were gone which it sounds like it was and they showed you something can you share at least a little bit of what they showed you? They were, they showed me many, many things. But what was happening to me is a preparation. Um, and in the film, you, you, you see it. We, we, we do very, very effective uh, reenactments and so you can see for yourself as a viewer um, 
what was shown to me. And the information, though, is not in a typical format. It, it, it's it's like a download. I'm, I'm not, not. I don't know if you understand that, but it's like yeah. a download. It's it's like the information is encoded in images. It's like symbols are charged with meaning, and um, and it it totally shocked me, Jeff. I have to tell you something. I I was for my entire life i i honestly thought that i had seen ultraman and then there was a flash of light and i got hurt and this is what happened and there was a struggle in the hallway and and all of that is absolutely true and part of it but it's not the complete story and um because of that that what when i found that out that was the point when my story became part of the film because it was important enough, not only to to me, but to our entire film crew and to everybody who was involved, that that information get out. Let me ask you this: Do you think yes, do you think that this suppressed fear for so many years was due to the actual incident of encountering the being and falling down the stairs, or is it due to the information that you downloaded? That's a great question, and nobody has asked me that question. The information that I was given. As a seven-year-old boy, I didn't know how to handle that. That's the truth. Do you think that these beings have been following you your whole life? And if so, they reached out to you however long it was ago during that night when you were having a glass of wine? Yeah, that was, that was three years ago. I, I have to tell you, um, Jeff, I would have laughed at that question. Three years ago, I would have laughed at you and said, yeah, that's preposterous. Knowing what I know now, experiencing what I have experienced, what was happening is that there was, you know, I hate to use this clumsy line, but they say there's no wine until it's time or whatever, or it, it was time for the information to come out. And so it was like a knock on the door. Hello, it's time. Hmm. Hello, it's time. And so that was the first of several different things that happened to me that kind of forced me in this direction that the information would be on film and that people would be able to see it because even then i mean i there was a lot of shame because of the lying and also you know i, I kid with my crew all the time i say listen you know this isn't really like a resume builder you know, you don't walk up to somebody and say, yeah, I graduated from Harvard. Oh, well, that's nothing. I have been abducted. You, mm -hmm. you know, you don't say that. You don't say that. And um, so it's uh, it's it's been a difficult challenge in my life, too, my personal life, uh, my professional life, too. But um, so there's there's all of that in that stew, if you will. The um, let me tell you another story. So after that particular thing in the desert. I was um, reading like a madman. I'm a bibliophile. So I got everything I could. I started to read, trying to understand this, and trying to talk to people and trying to understand what was going on because it all seemed to me accidental. And I had, I had no idea. I mean, honestly, I, you know, in one of the trailers, I, they recorded me and I said something like, you know, I didn't know if I was blessed or I was being punished for something, right? You know, and um, so many people in this in this uh, community, you know, they take they take on these things and they they almost feel like they're separate or special. And I I, I eschewed all of that. That was not interesting to me. In fact, I didn't want to be special. <laughs> I didn't want to be picked out. So um, I was still very kind of quiet to myself about these things. I was on another shoot and um, we were in Michigan and it was a big soccer field. 
and uh, at the end of the shoot, it was late at night, about 11 o'clock, and uh, we were packing all the gear away, and somebody came up from the shoot and said, hey, did you guys pick up something over here? No, and and uh, I said, well, walk with me, and I kind of gave my crew the kind of wink, you know, like, I don't want to be rude, right, so I'm going to go with these people and take a look. So I'm walking along with this person. And we're just talking about the film that we're trying to do and this sort of thing. And just then, I got, I don't know, maybe 100 feet, 100 yards, I don't know. But from the tree line, it's pitch black outside. And this beam of light, like a, like a very, very powerful flashlight, but it was amber in color, came directly out. It hit me in the chest. And I could feel... I could feel like some sort of physical interaction. You know, light doesn't push you, but I felt like some sort of impact on me. And I said, oh, my God, do you see this? And the person beside me said, yes, calm down. I said, you calm down. Look at this. You know, I am losing my mind. What the hell is this? And I, I kept thinking, oh, my God, is somebody trying to spot deer? I don't know if you know that thing that's where you know hunters will do an illegal practice and they spot they flash lights in a deer's eyes and then they shoot them and i'm thinking oh my god is somebody going to shoot me and um and just then this crystal blue light flies out of the top of the trees and kind of goes back down and i say look at that and just then right here on the right hand side my right hand side it was almost like Somebody was thrumming their fingers on a glass plane, and I could see these little lights as they appeared in front of me, you know, a hundred some yards away or whatever. And then over here, it started here, but the entire the entire tree line lights up like a Christmas village. And there are all these tiny little blue, crystal blue lights. And I and it was this fast. It was like Boom, look at this. Oh my God, look at I can you see this? Oh, this. And it all happened that fast. And then the lights came out at me. And I felt this. I've said this before many times. It felt like eating a, a peppermint patty and breathing in that cool air. You know, you could feel that cool air and it just overwhelmed me. And these lights kind of disintegrated in front of me and all around me. And I was, I mean, I I was shocked. I, I didn't know what to say. I, I, I was speechless. And this person kind of grabs me and turns me away because I am having a problem now. I'm, I'm, I am not steady on my feet. And they walk me back to my truck and, I, and I'm, I'm gathering myself and I thank them. And, and I was supposed to meet my team. There was an all night diner up there. And I told them, you yeah, know, I'm going to be a few minutes. I called them. They had already had dinner and already back at the hotel. I'd been gone for over an hour and I thought how the hell did that happen so things like that started to happen to me in increased frequency as though and the way I interpret it I don't know this but the way I interpret it was it was somebody knocking on my door saying it's time it's time did this, sorry to interrupt you, but was, did this happen before or after the wine incident? It happened after. After, okay. Yes, sir. It sounded like, you know, right during or after your wine incident, it kind of threw you into almost like an anxiety state, maybe yes. or panic attack states. Did that yes. subside or did, you know, like, did this thing that just happened to you here re-stimulate that again it did it did but it it um it it kind of focused me a little bit uh i had at this point in the story i i don't want to say i was kind of playing with the idea but it wasn't my 100 percent focus i was bifurcated i had many different things going on at least two major projects and at this point, I, after consideration of it and just wondering what happened to the time and that had kind of fit into some of the things that I was reading, I said, listen, I've got to get to the bottom of this. And it literally nudged me into the column where I was going to dedicate all of my efforts to finding out the answers for myself. 
was the decision to make this film with your production company based on your own research and trying to find out, or was it just something that they witnessed it with you and said, Hey, that, wow, that was amazing. Let's make a movie about UFOs. Yeah. Um, it, it, it was a, it was kind of a combination of a couple of things, but the, but the number one thing was this, I, uh, and, and it's hard, it's hard, Jeff, you and I don't know each other, but I am, uh, I'm not a hundred percent different, <laughs> But I am very different than I was. And so people had known me for almost two decades. And I changed dramatically. And because of that, and because of what they had seen themselves, that they said, listen, there's really something here. We, we've got to capture this. This is important. And the more we got involved, the more important it seemed. And then... You know, I mean, right in all of this stuff, you know, all of these, all of these, um, you know, announcements from the government, you know, this just encourages us even more, you know. And Mm. so in that atmosphere, then everybody became laser focused on not only uh, a film, but the film was kind of ancillary. Everybody wanted to know. Everybody wanted to know themselves because some people had mild curiosity. Some had no curiosity at all. Some people kind of said, well, sure, maybe, but what does it have to do with my life? Well, here I am, you know, one of the people that you see every single day in your work life. And this is crippling me. What is going on? You know? And so that's what happened. Based on your own experience with ETs, do you understand that or do you believe that the reason that we don't have full disclosure with the ETs is because the whole planet would be changed like you are and you know it really upset the entire planet and that just the whole planet couldn't handle it I I want to answer that two ways first of all and we address this in the film I got yelled at the other day. This all fits together. I got yelled at the other day. Somebody said, oh, you have answers, you know, because alien abduction answers. And I tried to say to the gentleman, I said, look, this, listen to the words. It's alien abduction answers. It's not the answer. Okay, I'm not, not going to tell anybody about their experiences. That's not my point at all. And it doesn't matter to me that people are convinced or they believe me. That, that's ancillary to the whole point. When people say, and and this is an ego thing, when people say that they have the answer, this is a major problem because then it becomes all truth comes through me, not me, but them. All, you know, every, every report that comes out from the government, oh, well, pass it by me and I will tell you what it truly means or what. And I'm not interested in any of that, not interested in any of that because I truly believe that we're not dealing with one et we're dealing with a myriad of experiences and and a couple of them are this to my mind number one i think we are absolutely dealing with something that our government has developed okay they've always had technology that we didn't know about throughout the entire history of our world and i'm I'm saying governments in general all governments okay so some of the things that people see some of the things that people experience are the government it's absolutely it's our armed forces experimenting with some crap having said that there's also some sort of intelligence some sort of inherent intelligence that the planet has that's kind of coexisted with us since the beginning of time you know in simpler times we referred to it as fairies as light people as elves it's this intelligence of the forest of the earth of the rocks that somehow communicates with us not in english because they don't speak english they speak their own language but it affects us and we've had those things happen to us throughout our history also i believe that strongly that we're dealing with nuts and bolts yes there are craft coming from a make it up alpha century whatever okay that yes i mean look why is this so hard to believe 
you know, Musk is sending people to Mars. This is his plan. Okay, we send we send probes everywhere in our solar system. And what do we do? The very first thing we do is take samples. Guess what? If we arrived with people and there were living creatures there, you don't think that we would capture a few? We would take a look at them. We would test them. Of course we would. Why is it insane to think that? Of course we would. Stop being foolish. And then I think we're also dealing with something that people have referred to. It's not my name. I had to coin the phrase, but like ultra terrestrials, things that we have referred to as angels and demons, these type of intellect that are much more ethereal than uh, spiritual, more powerful. And either through their physics or their will or their consciousness, they can literally pierce the veil between our worlds, interact with us in some way and then retreat without a trace because in this three dimension construct, they do not exist. They're outside that world. And for people who have a hard time with that and don't believe anything they don't see, I often ask them to stand in front of an x-ray machine for three or four days. They can't see those. Um, they'd be very sad after three or four days. And so having said that, why don't we have full disclosure or contact? I think we do. I think it's just in a format that we're we're starting to understand. Remember, communication is an interesting thing. I mean, we have many types of communication. How many languages are there on the earth? Okay. And even that, that's not sufficient. We have Morse code. We have lights. We have flag communication. Okay. So, you know, let's suppose you and I, we take our children to the zoo and we come past the primate cage and, and one of the primates turns around and goes right to you. Well, you might be a little shocked and amused and you might tap on the screen there and he comes over to you and, and says, uh, you know, and you might say, Oh, that's pretty cool. He wants a treat, right? This is where your mind is. So is this a communication? Is this, is this happening? Is that possible? Now suppose, now suppose there's a much more intelligent, more spiritual, more elevated entity looking at us behind that screen, looking for some element of intelligence, of evolution, of spiritual growth, some commonality where we can speak to each other. And if somebody would turn around and say, wouldn't they be surprised and happy and glad that there was some sort of recognition? And would that to begin a relationship? And isn't that the entire path of man since we first crawled on the face of the earth? So I think this closure is here. I think it's up to us to decide to engage it. I like that you went into the spirituality of ETs because some of my near-death experience guests have reported that during their experience, they either went to other worlds or encountered aliens. So I think that possibly in the fifth dimension or whatever dimension that's beyond here, that's where the aliens may exist. And they somehow just pop into our dimension when they want to be here, but they're normally not here all the time. Yeah. Well, I would be remiss if I didn't speak about Whitley Strieber, who is featured in this film. And uh, he really acts as a counterpoint to all the emotion. There's a lot of emotion in this film. And uh, it's really one of the unique elements that people find so endearing. I mentioned to you earlier that most UFO or alien um, documentaries are kind of antiseptic they're kind of third person narratives where everything is a description of something that happened to someone else and ours really is an immersive sort of experience where you are with me almost like riding in my pocket or on my shoulder and you're experiencing the fear with me and what we do is we shepherd people through that fear which is necessary to deal with a lot of people don't talk about the fear either it, it ruins their narrative or they or they think that it's it's um ancillary to the experience but it's true we have this ontological shock that happens to us of something that is quote unquote other than us 
And you have to deal with that and you have to be honest about that. And I learned the very, very hard way. So I assure you that you have to deal with the fear. But on the other side of the fear, it allows you some sort of understanding. And when you have some understanding, you're able to navigate it a little bit better. You're able to think a little bit clearer, not completely, but a little bit clearer. And so what Whitley Strieber does is he is able to sift through all that chaff. And he, like Deb Shakti, is able to bring the viewer some clarity to what they're seeing. It's, uh, it's really beautiful. And it, and it honestly is very illuminating, too. Uh, people are going to learn a lot when they watch this film. And um, so when we talk about spirituality, one of the things that he talks about in some of his writings are that the dead are somehow connected in some way to these experiences. And to my mind, it, it could be exactly the way you said it, you know, that they they live in that same sort of dimension, or it could be the fact that as they traverse the dimensions, their physic pushes, physics push a hole through that. And at those moments, we glimpse those people that live in that dimension, those people who have passed on, those consciousness. But see, here's the thing. The thing that ties all of these, regardless of physics or spirituality or whatever, is this idea that consciousness is primary. I ask you this. You have a very nice tie and shirt on, right? So are you, Jeff, wearing a shirt and tie? Or are you, a shirt and tie, wearing Jeff? So if you took that shirt off and that tie off and put it on your chair and stood away, would they animate themselves? Would they jump up and down and dance and, and look very smart like you? Or does it take you to infuse, to literally drape yourself in that shirt and that tie to make them alive, to activate them? So I ask you rhetorically, are we bodies with souls or bodies with consciousnesses? Or are we consciousnesses, souls, that wear a body, that push ourselves into this dimension and experience this, and literally, the real us, when we take off the shirt and tie, are we back here? And for people who have a problem with that concept, I ask this question. Sometime in your life, something like this has happened. You've been looking at somebody from behind and they turn around and they look at you because they could feel you looking at them. Or it's happened to you, vice versa. You feel somebody looking and you turn around in traffic or something even more. You're thinking about somebody at some odd time of night or day and they call you and they say, I was just thinking about you. Now, wait a minute. That's happened to almost everybody on the planet. Okay. That can't be a happenstance. That can't be a coincidence. If it's happened to almost every single individual on the planet, there's something there. Why? Because consciousness is non-local. It doesn't reside here. It's here. And we tap into it. So thinking about that, thinking about that, I mean, I, we're going very far away from just shiny lights in the sky that people are looking at and what our defense department is staring at. We're talking about communication. And what I'm saying is, is that universal line between us can't be language, can't be a radio signal. It's going to be in the realm of consciousness because that is universal. And regardless if you lived on Venus or Earth or wherever, you're going to be plugged into that consciousness. Now, those of us, and I mean all of us in the universe, that can plug into that, can manipulate that, can use it to our benefit, can communicate with that, are going to be further along than the rest of us. But if our sight is completely down at our feet, and this is all we know, then we won't develop. This film is all about cracking that egg, is all about saying, listen, we already know there's something other. Guess what? Government's been lying about it a long time. Don't believe me? 
Take a look at the Senate hearings. Take a look at 1,500 pages they just released a couple of weeks ago. They've been lying. No, we've never looked at it. But we had 15 pages, 1,500 pages that we didn't want to show you that shows that we have been looking at it. Okay. And so now look at what lengths they've gone to to lie about this. Something pretty innocuous if you think about it. Shiny lights in the sky, right? What kind of lengths would they have gone to to hide interaction? between humans, their citizens, and something else. It'd blow your mind. Now, why would that be? Well, it's all about control. It's all about ego. So you extrapolate this experience. And what I'm saying is, is that it's not, well, do you believe me or no? No, it exists. Now, what do we do with it? My first film, this film, about this subject, Alien Abduction Answers, is about, it's really a gift to the world. It's, a, it's about fear, and it's about ignorance, because fear breeds ignorance. You know, you don't, can't see what's in the dark, so you're afraid of it, right? You don't know what's in the deep water, so you're afraid of it. I was petrified of big sky and big water for most of my life because of this experience. And I take people from that ignorance and fear to some sort of understanding. For my critics out there, I'm not saying the understanding. I'm saying some sort of understanding, some sort of landmarks, right? Second film is going to be about taking people from that understanding to integration. If you know something is true, if you know the water is deep, if you know it's dark over there, you integrate that in your behavior. You're able to operate in those situations. You learn to take a floaty into the deep water or you take a flashlight or you prepare yourself before you get into that darkness. And then the third film is all about transformation. If we know there's something other and we've had fundamental changes in us and we've incorporated that truth into ourselves, then what happens at the end of the equal sign? What do we become? What kind of possibilities does that allow us? The world is your oyster. The universe is your oyster. In this film, are you just talking about the fear or are you trying to alleviate our fears of the ETs? That's a great question. Thank you. No, it's not just about the fear. What we do is we take people from that ignorance and that fear, right? Because there are really three types of people, right? There are people who say, ah, this is all crap, right? Then you've got people who say, oh my God, there's something there, but I'm absolutely petrified of it and I don't want anything to do with it, okay? Then there are those kind of people who say, yeah, probably, maybe, but what does it have to do with my life, right? All these government releases are allowing people the opportunity to talk about it. It's no longer, oh, you've got a tinfoil hat. Really, do those fighter pilots have tinfoil hats? Do those government officials have tinfoil hats? No, no, see, no longer. So what we do in the film is we take people from that ignorance and that fear and we shepherd them through that. They can live through the fear that I experience and the other people experience. They don't have to be afraid. They don't have to tell their friends. They don't have to tell everybody. But they can see how we've all dealt with it in different ways. And then we bring them out on the other side to allow them to understand what the possibilities are after they get through that fear. We literally shepherd them through. So what I was looking for, Jeff, to be 100% honest with you, is I was looking for a catharsis. I needed peace because my life was being destroyed by this lie. I found that peace and I'm trying to share it with everybody else. You're talking about consciousness and I'm pretty sure you're aware of the Israeli general who spoke about the Galactic uh, Federation and about space. To me, the most interesting thing he said was that space is not what you think it is. Do you think space has something to do with consciousness? I think everything has something to do with consciousness. Every, I mean, you know, you, you, it's so funny. You know, the sun comes up and cavemen look outside and they say that's God. You know, God's creator. God's this. God's this. God's this. God's this. 
okay we have this pantheon of gods we have a single god we have this god we have this creator we all understand that there's some sort of source okay scientists hard materialists they scoff at it and call you idiots and small-minded these same geniuses now are all contemplating quantum and they're saying listen you know, it's almost like there's an intellectual design here. There's a, there's a pattern. Of course, there's a pattern. It's the design. There's something here. Space is much, much more than what we've been led to believe. So is consciousness. And that consciousness is primary. It's the engine behind it all. Not just behind living beings, but all matter, which in a way is all alive. You know, you, you take a look at your microphone right there. To your mind, to your eyes, it looks like a solid piece of machinery. But really, it's vibrating in front of you. But it's vibrating so fast or so slow, you can't see with your eyes. Because of the atoms and all the electricity that's going through it, it's alive in its own way. But because it doesn't talk and breathe and eat a foot long, you know, it's not alive. See what I mean? It's our definitions which hold us in this paradigm. So yes, I believe that space is much, much different. And I believe that consciousness underlies it all. And that consciousness is the source, God creator, whatever. I mean, we're all we're all part of the same. Even if you're a hard materialist, think about this, you know, Big Bang, right? Big Bang. You and I are, are brothers because we all came out of that star, out of that a big explosion. We're all pieces of that stardust. And so if that's true, then E.T. are pieces of that stardust, right? Do you think we're getting disclosure through movies and television? And for example, what I really like is that the newest Star Trek series of just I think called Star Trek Discovery or something but now they're traveling through consciousness basically and they're doing instantaneous traveling which I think really must occur unless they're traveling through a wormhole for ships to get that far so quickly I have not seen nor have I read anything about the new Star Trek but your your question um, your much larger question are, are we getting this information through these things absolutely Remember, in my cosmology, consciousness is the basis of everything, right? And so we are working our way, just as we always have. We're evolving in small minutia every day. We're getting better. We're learning new strategies, everything. Not just our technology, but our health, our life, the way we think. And that consciousness is like, for lack of a better phrase, because I'm not that smart, like a cloud, Okay, and once again, we're all plugged into that cloud. That's pieces of us pushed into us. And as these antennae are all over the place, that information is flying around. And so creatives are plugging into that idea that we're evolving, we're moving forward. And so, of course, of course, it would be one of those things where, yeah, that's a great idea. And that disclosure might not be conscious disclosure. But it's there for all of us to access. This is why, by the way, those creatives that put that information out have a fan base because those fans are plugged into that same sort of wave, that same sort of possibility, that same sort of what if. If they were completely closed off, these people would have no audience at all. So, yes, I believe it. Is this movie part documentary and part reenactment? It is, it is a true documentary, and people will learn a lot of information, and they'll learn a lot about themselves. There are reenactments, but I want to tell you this, that most documentaries are low budget. Uh, they're done by people without a lot of experience. I mean, there are some exceptions. I mean, Tear in the Sky, those guys are very, very experienced and wonderful people. Uh, a lot of talent there. But most of them are, are once again, kind of that analytical third party, we're going to have some talking heads. What we have done is we have added very, very immersive interactions uh, via 
these reenactments. Now, everybody is used to seeing some really bad reenactments on cop shows and things like this. But what happens is we, we were cognizant of that and we brought all of our art as filmmakers to bear to literally place the viewer inside the scene. And so you're walking alongside me or alongside these other people when you can see what they see. It's an immersive thing. So, yes, reenactments, but not the kind that you're used to. Do you feel that there are both good and bad ETs out there, or only good? <sighs> this is not your first rodeo. You have good questions, my friend. Oh, thank you. Um, are there good and bad people? Rhetorical question. Okay. And what is good? Is good, is good, are there good and bad tigers, lions? So what is good? Is good the same for scorpions as it is for their prey? Probably not. They probably term it. Once again, I said earlier that our language, it kind of limits us. This is why when people talk about ETs and how telepathy works in this mind to mind, this consciousness is because the only way to truly understand each other is through emotion. It's through pictures and symbology. Those things change us. Words can't change us. It's the emotion impacting us through those words. So are there good and bad? What would we consider good and bad? So look, you know, you have the whole gamut. You know, you have people who are what they would say, I wouldn't say this, but they would say very woo-woo and everything is spiritual light and everybody's a star seed and all of this stuff. I'm not denying that. Then you would have all these people over here who say, no, no, I have the answer. They're all baby eaters and they're, you know, hybrids. And they're, okay, I'm not denying that either. My universe is big enough to say every one of those possibilities and permutations probably exist. And let me ask you this, though. Let's impress that good and bad upon it. Do you think the ones that are doing the hybrid experiments consider themselves evil? Do you think they say, ah, <laughs> we're going to just mess up their genome for fun? I don't know that that's evil. I think maybe they're doing it for survival. And when we, can, when we do things for survival, do we consider it good or bad, right? So this is a difficult thing. When we use the words, we can't solve this problem using our same thinking. We can't solve these issues or truly understand these issues using our same vernacular. It's so much bigger than that, right? I use an example in the film. Mr. Musk, Elon Musk, he sends the rocket to Mars. And out of the Mars rocket, there comes a gentleman from Africa. There comes a person from uh, Scandinavia. There comes somebody from Asia and somebody from the United States. Now, they all look drastically different, right? And they're met by a, you know, a hypothetical Martian. So here comes a question. Which one of you is the Earthling? Well, they all are. But because of their evolution and their eating habits and their behaviors and their location, they all look different. How can that be? See, you don't have the answer. Secondly, what are your motivations? Maybe one is recreation. Maybe one is scientific discovery. Maybe one is love and adventure. Maybe one is military conquest. Now watch. That's one planet. One ship. If we allow that life is prolific throughout the universe, which is unimaginably big, how many permutations of looks and motivations are there? And of those permutations, which are good and which are evil? Listen, if they came down here and gave us the cure for cancer, would that be good? Or would that allow people to live trashy and take on all kinds of diseases and live terribly and become slovenly and whatever, or if, you know, they could fix obesity or whatever else we do to ourselves or smoking and ruining our lungs and they could, you know, is that good then? Well, wait a minute. That's good and bad. 
See what I'm saying? This is why the words will never solve what we're doing. And that's why this mystery, and I say it in one of the trailers, how can these shiny lights in the sky lead us to think about trying to be a better person? It doesn't make sense to a firmly logical mind that lives in this construct. But if you extrapolate from that and extrapolate from that, you understand that it really is all connected. And it's so important for us to understand that if we want to evolve. And I'm not talking about growing another limb or another finger. I'm talking about evolve here and here. Stephen Hawkins said that perhaps we shouldn't be announcing ourselves to the universe and we're sending out probes and even locally on the ground, people are doing CE5 events. Do you think that's a good idea or a bad idea? Mm. Well, let me, let me say this. I think Stephen Hawking, who, brilliant scientist, of course, thinking about things in terms of this three-dimensional construct um, and sending that information out, I think that his position, once again, I don't know him personally, didn't know him personally, but I think his position was, listen, we may not be ready for these guys and we may attract like beings. Mm-hmm. We are a warlike, angry bunch of folks. I mean, think about it. And I won't mention any particular topics because I'm apolitical. But think, we can't even agree on simple things, things that we took for granted our entire history. We're changing it now because it's our opinion. I, I get a kick out of listening to people talk about my truth, right? Well, what if my truth is different than your truth? Then which do we respect, right? You know, and what if I said, you know, you and I are about the same age. I think you remember back in the day when you said my truth, it really meant my opinion that nobody else shares. <laughs> so, so think about this. So that's what he he literally impresses his own mind and soul and desires upon the problem at hand, contacting outside. So would we want to meet people who are as angry as us, as divisive as us, and they can, I don't know, vaporize the earth? Probably not. Now, contrast that to CE5. From what I know about CE5, I am no means an expert. These people go out, and it's sacred to them. They calm their minds. They calm their hearts. They have cohesiveness amongst them. They have peace amongst them. And what they do is they throw that good feeling, that good, that love, that cohesiveness out into the universe. And what they're doing is, just like you and I were talking about, just like that ape, they're saying, hey. Now, they're not saying, hey. They're not saying, hey. They're saying, hey, I speak a couple of languages. If I walked into an airport of English-speaking people and there was somebody screaming in German, everybody would know that there was something important going on, but no one would really know what they were saying. So I speak German, so if I walked over, I would be able to communicate with them. And so what I'm saying is these people are screaming out in their language of love, of hope, of fellowship, of brotherhood, of advancement, of safety. And so I cannot help but believe that like-minded beings would answer that call because that would be the language they speak as well. All right, John, I'm running out of time. So I've got to ask next, where can we see the film? Thank you very much. Uh, May 3rd, it was released. It is uh, streaming now on Amazon Prime, iTunes, YouTube, Kino Now, uh, video on demand on every, you know, Comcast or whatever. You can just speak it into your into your remote uh, alien abduction answers. It'll come up. And um, that's in North America right now. Uh, it'll be released in Europe and Asia and uh, South America and Africa, uh, probably closer to the fall. You mentioned the other two films. Have you already started production on them? No, sir. Uh, thank you for asking. Uh, the truth of the matter is, is that uh, we spent about $500,000 on this film of our own money. And... Um, and so we're waiting for the process to go through so we can see some of that profit. So 
right now I'm looking for an investor who would like to get involved with me uh, or investors that would like to get involved with me and spread this information and help me develop the next film. I have it pretty much uh, drawn out, but production has not started, sir. No. If someone wanted to, you know, contact you about that, how should they reach out to you? Certainly. Um, They can find me on Facebook. My name is John Yost, Y-O-S-T. You can find me on Twitter, The John Yost. Uh, I work at a company called Rhino Pictures. You can go to rhinopictures.com and um, you can email me and be happy to talk to anybody. You have anything else that you're working on that you want us to know about? Mm. I... um, I think that the next film is, I don't want to say more important, but it will, it will, for everybody who is, I'm sorry, let me say it this way. Jeff, I know that you have a large audience and some of your audience are just interested parties. And then some of them are very, very developed people who have had NDEs and have experienced and all kinds of development. They may look at my film as being too banal. I entreat them not to think that. I entreat them to look at it like like I do, as as helping individuals grapple with this project, grapple with this idea, this this occasion, this encounter, and developing ideas and maybe ways to communicate that to people on mass. And isn't that really what you're doing? Aren't you sharing these ideas with everybody helping and people take what they want. They don't have to take the whole thing. They take what they want and what they need. The next film will be even more so, and it will get to where those more developed people are. Um, The only difference is this, is that I risk my reputation and my livelihood by showing it on a screen and hopefully for the betterment of the audience. All right, John, before we finish up, Can you leave us with one last positive message? This film is less about the shiny lights in the sky and more about you, about your soul, about your consciousness and what it means to be human and what it means to be alive and what it means to be awake. Things are happening very fast now. Wake up. John, thank you again for being my guest. I really appreciate you, and I wish you massive success with your movies. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thanks for watching the Jeff Mara Podcast. I really appreciate you. Another way to show support is through YouTube memberships. And if you do, there are loyalty badges and other perks depending on your level of membership. All you need to do is click the Join button underneath the video to find out more. Thank you for your support.